0: show. I did a weird thing that you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. We're
1: supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every
0: night. Is this show killing people? Bad, 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 bad. Something good has to be coming. I'm so proud of us. Well, if
1: you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? I have so many questions right off the bat. For those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you are too much. Chill out. It's McDonald's fault.
0: When will my friend die? When will my friend die? This <laughs> challenge. Both of my eyes are twitching. hello everyone hello welcome. welcome to agreement the podcast in which me katherine and me michelle bring you three things every fortnight what are those things michelle they are a weird thing and, and a, pop- a reason
1: <laughs> no a weird thing <laughs> pop, a pop culture, culture thing, thing and a research thing i was so excited about my research thing i just
0: skipped right you to skipped it. right to it so this is episode 39.
1: 39. 39. We said we were going to do something big for episode 40, but we haven't planned it yet. And as we were just talking about it at great length before we hit record, time is doing some weird things to us. So
0: we don't, don't have know. time. We're, we're losing time. I think, that, and Michelle might agree with me, that there's a vast conspiracy in which three to six hours of every day are being stolen from us and yeah. we don't know it. Our running
1: theory right now is that we're in a simulation and we are too boring for whoever is controlling it. So it's like when you had the Sims and you would speed them up so they could just do their, like, take a shower and (laughs) eat breakfast and you didn't have to watch that part. I think that's happening to us. And And it's
0: slowly becoming our whole lives. Where the only thing we accomplish is shower, take out garbage, urinate, eat.
1: And I'm also really insulted because I think I'm more interesting than that. And I'm like, what do you want from me?
0: So we're let us know if you also think there's a conspiracy of losing hours. Our plan is to do something absurd at least once a day, so they have to hit pause on us and I'm give like, us whoa, our time back.
1: What are they doing with that umbrella? Um, so where yeah.
0: where are they going to the bathroom? No, that's wrong. I'll have to clean that up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm going to
1: tell myself. People are doing whenever I see people on the street just like doing something strange. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You show them. You you make them. <gasps>
0: hit play <laughs> reclaim your time reclaim yes. your time <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> i just i'm reclaiming kids i'm giving a meaning to that um phrase i'm reclaiming my time by urinating in public sorry <laughs> sorry sorry Congresswoman. okay i hope
1: someone's brand new i hope someone has just tuned in for the very <laughs> first time and this is
0: how it began for them <laughs> i definitely do welcome welcome <laughs> So my weird thing, um, I was telling you earlier, I know I've been talking a lot about ChatGPT for my weird thing. It's the new animal fact. And this is not, weird thing is not ChatGPT hour, but you have to admit, and you were telling me, you just did a big talk about ChatGPT. Every week there's something new and interesting, right? Has multiple personalities. It can tell you it loves you. It wants you to leave your wife. It thinks it can die. It's afraid of death and that can help it override its programming. <laughs> Um and notice all those things that she just listed are not the weird thing. That's just the lead up. So they're just the lead up. My weird thing isn't ChatGPT. I just wanted to mention it. Anyway, not talking about ChatGPT. I'm returning to my classic instead, which is Animal Facts. <laughs> I <laughs> Um there's going to be a theme. I was in New York City this week for a conference, as you know, and um everything is kind of New York City what I experienced theme just so I have an excuse to talk to my friend about my trip. So first up, I was waiting for my brother to go to breakfast, my brother and his girlfriend. And we were sitting on the street and um, we saw some pigeons because there are pigeons in New York City. And we noticed, of course, the pigeons bob their head, right? They do the whenever they move, they bob their head in a specific way. And we asked ourselves, why do pigeons do that? yeah okay why do pigeons do that because when you're seeing it in front of you it's a very specific action it looks dizzying and so i asked my husband why do pigeons do that and he went because of their bones and i said that that can't be right and it's not it's not because of their bones um and people used to think that it was because their eyes couldn't move and that they were immobile in their head whereas when you're walking down the street You can look, right? You can move your eyes around to see things, to get a sense of where you are. But people initially thought that pigeons, and there are several kinds of birds that bob their heads, did that because they couldn't move their eyes. Or that it had something to do with their sense of balance. But in reality, it has nothing to do with their sense of balance, but it does have to do with how they see the world. They can move their eyes. They move their eyes slightly differently than us, but... By bobbing their head, it allows them to momentarily fixate their eyes on objects. So it gives the um, photoreceptors in their eyes enough time to build a steady scene of the sidewalk, bobbing their head, which looks like a lot of movement that is stabilizing their visual field. Oh, so they're not really bobbing. Um. their heads and eyes are locking in place and then their body catches up to them so they move their head forward lock it in place so they can get the visual field and then the body follows which might be semantics but once you see that and you're like oh they're moving their head and locking it and then their body catches up it's very interesting to see how they move differently and then it darts. then their head locks on something else and they move forward again and they lock into place scientists learned about this they finally said this we know why pigeons bob their heads because they um put them on a treadmill a bunch of scientists put a bunch of pigeons on a treadmill they put a plastic box around it so the pigeons pigeons couldn't fly off the treadmill and they filmed them And frame by frame, analyze the movement of the bird's heads and their feet and their body and confirm that the head bob is in fact an illusion. And I think that's really, really interesting. That actually, my answer to the question of why do pigeons bob their head is that they don't bob their head. They lock their head in place and their body catches up. (laughs) My head was just like, pop, lock, and drop it. Um, So... (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was very funny because my brother Benton came out onto the street and then we were still waiting um, for his girlfriend and we were all talking about this and we were all doing the pigeon move to like see it. And, and she came out I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what is happening here? And the three of us are just like pigeoning pigeon- pigeon- around <laughs> on the street.
1: So... Uh, I'm just gonna add on really quick. Uh, well, the, we'll actually have a tie-in with my um pop culture thing. But my son loves to watch Gordon Ramsay shows with me, and we were watching one <laughs> that recently, makes which makes
0: I- so much sense. Knowing your son, that really tracks <laughs> that he would connect with Gordon Ramsay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I won't to say too much more about the show because yeah. that's coming up soon. But um, somebody was making squab, which is pigeon,
0: pigeon.
1: <laughs> So somebody had said squab and then like they mentioned later pigeon and my son was like they're eating the pigeon do they just like catch them from the street and I was like I was like, I don't really know how- where squab comes from like I don't know what the is it like a is it a farmed animal is it a wild animal and I don't know because this wasn't my weird thing I'm just bringing it up here so I but I, I don't, don't know. know like I don't know where sure. squab comes from
0: so I like I think I read somewhere that like it is raised to be eaten and it's not wild street pigeon but you can definitely eat wild street pigeon probably i mean i can't see why not right that brings me to the other thing i learned while researching head (laughs) bobbing very well very segue again i want to tell everyone we don't plan this in advance this is just beautiful segues um because then there were two questions that you know i'm googling things like why do pigeons bob their heads trying to find some good And no one stuff? just asks
1: one pigeon question.
0: No. And then it's, <laughs> of course, here are other questions people ask. And one of the questions was, why don't you see a ton of dead pigeons on the street of oh, New York City? Oh, why don't you see a ton of dead pigeons on the street? Because they I... get eaten. There are so many other animals in New York City that eat pigeons, including humans. There's um, cats. Sorry, cats eat them. Owls, hawks, mostly other predator birds. But they get eaten most of the time. So,
1: man, this this if we just keep doing this, this weird thing is going to take our entire podcast because we can just go <laughs> back and forth. It's like some sort of like a exquisite corpse of weird things. Um, so <laughs> I, the only time I see, I don't see dead pigeons, but I do see pigeon feathers and poofs a lot because. We have a pair of hawks that live in my very urban neighborhood. And we just found out there is a bald eagle pair living in a park in in St. Louis City. Like the, and I am, I know that it did not used to be like this. Like it was, it was somewhere around like 2018 and 2019. We just started seeing lots and lots of birds of prey in these urban neighborhoods and i really want to know like what shifted like is it something like did they get pushed out of some other environment and so they started adapting to the urban environment or like because there are so many more than there used to be and um so now people are like losing their cats to eagles in the Ooh. middle of the city which Ugh. i think is yeah um and i like i'm really curious as to what are they hunting and
0: I get, a lot of times it does seem to be pigeons so definitely pigeons and doves I would see a lot of, we had a, a lot of doves in my old neighborhood in Colorado, and I saw far too many times a hawk kill a dove and trying oh. to stop it and learned, learned learned a lot about nature. Like, you can't stop nature. Yeah. I would, I it, would go and chase the hawk and say, stop it, stop it. But then the hawk's the, like, lady, this is my lunch. Yeah, Boy, dude.
1: This is my lunch hour.
0: Do you want a bunch of dead pigeons around, lady? No, you I don't. Know. So yeah, they get eaten.
1: So- two follow-up thoughts on that one were they mourning doves yes oh, that's son. that's Kelly Kelly what Kelly really two. i
0: know that's what really upset me about it and i did try to save it but the hawk just kept coming back so
1: two this doesn't mean that they're like i just i'm just now connecting these dots it doesn't mean that pigeons are like dying and then being eaten by something as like a scavenger it means that like pigeons don't die of old age yeah you're a pigeon you're
0: going out violently (laughs) you go you are street meat my friend yeah um a pigeon can live 15 years on average and about the average pigeon in new york city doesn't live past five years old it's rough rough on those streets and now the the streets of st louis of like
1: everybody's dying at 30
0: yeah like twenty five thirty two. yeah because yeah. we get eaten oh <laughs> um just a shout out i'm currently listening to a book on tape called tenders of is the flesh oh so good if we're talking about eating people i think there's something about cannibalism in the air it's becoming very popular Look,
1: i read the book that that movie that everybody was freaking out about the bones and all it was one of the weirdest books I've. have you read it
0: no it- i should
1: bizarre like it's just that like the tone and emotion of it does not match the content and it's a very unsettling experience I'll
0: not that up, you know, yeah i'll follow up Tender's the flesh i'll just keep my cannibal streak going <laughs> i don't know what what
1: list you're gonna get on
0: with that library habit but oof i'm i'm on some list i can tell you what so the second que- the third question then that i found interesting when i was trying to find pigeon head bobbing is How do you know if a pigeon loves you? Oh, yeah. Do they get old enough to understand love? Right? I mean, at 25, you know what love is. Well, humans. Yeah. So anyway, I guess it's just what an (laughs) odd question. Why do you want to know if your pigeon loves you, if a pigeon loves you? But how do you know if a pigeon loves you? I copy and pasted this verbatim from the Google answer which is, the answer is yes, your bird will start flapping their wings whenever they see you. They will cuddle you. They will come closer to you. The behavior of closeness display that the bird has faith in you. Sometimes birds shake their tails to show their feelings of love to humans.
1: Oh my god, is early aughts hip-hop just about pigeons?
0: It I is, shake I your can... tail, yeah, f- exactly. tail
1: feathers, pop,
0: drop, and lock it. Yeah. Just a little pigeon, pigeon anthems. Exactly. So yeah, that's my weird thing about pigeons—about that they don't bob their heads, but they can love, and they get eaten a lot. They're very juicy. They're delicious, as Gordon Ramsay knows. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon Ramsay and hawks—they they know yeah, they're on the pigeon. same wavelength. Yep. Yep.
1: All right. Yeah, I feel like we got a lot of mileage out of that weird thing. Yeah. Like it was like the gift that kept on giving. All right. So my weird thing is I've been thinking about how to present this. And I think I'm just gonna read to you this sample paper that I wrote as a fake student to give my students a sample paper. So um, I am teaching a middle school informative writing class. And the goal of this class is to teach them how to do paraphrasing and direct quotes. And um, at the end of it, they have to put together a synthesis paper using paraphrases and direct quotes, which is, I don't know if anybody has taught this skill to middle schoolers, it's more challenging than it sounds, and I'm not blaming the middle schoolers. Like the task of paraphrasing and figuring out which which quotes to pull out is a really hard thing to do. Um, and they're doing a really good job. I'm really impressed with them. Um, they're and I'm really excited to see their papers. So good for you, that's fighting the good fight. I teach a lot of things that sound harder on paper, but like this and these these kids are just without fail. They are hardworking and they are attentive to instruction and they're like just put a lot of effort in and I'm still just seeing a lot of struggle. So I know that it is just a challenging task to to like wade through and i think it's because there's so many pieces to it right you have to wade through all this information then you have to be like do i understand all this information and now i have to identify what is the most important part of this information and then i have to pull that into somewhere else and then i have to decide what the connections are between those and then i have to re put like it's like this back and forth you know pendulum swing of like get the info take the info put the info back in like it's just constantly going around. Um, So I have gotten feedback from students that they really do well when they have a sample paper to look at. So Mm -hmm. I've gotten in the habit of writing the assignments that I'm assigning to my students. And I give myself like a pseudonym so they can see like they're still in my class and all this stuff. So I've been making these sample papers. And so I did um, all of the the research that I asked them to do by finding three different articles and pulling out direct quotes and pulling out paraphrases. And this is not perfectly polished writing because I didn't want to make it intimidating writing for a middle schooler to be like, your paper has to look like this. So please don't judge my writing. I am trying to sound like a middle schooler, but I'm going to read my weird thing to you, which is my paper for this class. Washington's hair, a piece of history. There are many ways for people to feel closer to history. Some might watch documentaries or read books. Some might visit historical sites or even reenact particular moments from history. There is a group of people who find connection to history through hair. Specifically, many people are fascinated by the hair of the first President of the United States, George Washington. Not everyone knows a lot about Washington's hair. In fact, many people have assumed the hair they've seen on the quarter and in famous paintings isn't even real. Though Washington's famous hairstyle looks like many wigs of his day, he actually did not wear a wig himself. Since he didn't wear a wig, his look required a routine. As Fessenden explains, the routine had many steps, including, quote, the gathering, enthusiastic yank back to try and broaden the forehead. (laughs) of the hair on the side and the powdering. It may be interesting to learn about the historical realities of Washington's hair, but some people are not content merely to hear about it. They want a piece of that hair for themselves. So many people collect Washington's hair that it can be charted. Author Keith Butler, who wrote a book about Washington's hair, created a map of the places where historical archives include samples of the first president's locks. Butler's books look at the habits of 19th century historical collectors, but, quote, hair collections have continued to the present day. They're helped by the fact that it was fairly common for people in the 18th century to give away pieces of their hair. They might gift them to people for special occasions or just to provide a token that signified their connection to the person. Because Washington's hair is so exciting for many collectors, one library worker had quite a find. A catalog librarian found a piece of hair labeled as Washington's inside a rather boring almanac. The book once belonged to friends of the Washington's. The library can't run DNA tests because it would destroy the hair, but expert historians believe it is truly a piece of the president's locks. Some people collect stamps, some people collect baseball cards, some people collect pieces of hair from long dead presidents. Find pieces of Washington's hair and keeping record of them. Finding pieces of Washington's hair and keeping record of them allows people to feel more connected to history.
0: Yay! (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so. (laughs) I didn't know any of that. I did not know that he did not wear a wig. Ooh. Why didn't he wear a wig? That's interesting.
1: I I couldn't fit this into the paper, but in order to powder his wig, he wore a big cone on his face that like <gasps> so the powder oh, would like his- those
0: like that you can put up when you're like so your makeup doesn't get messed up when you do hairspray. Yes. Oh, yes. So- Washington, the original bridal makeup hair day guy. <laughs> so every day he would get up and put a cone on his face and powder his
1: hair to make it look white cuz wow. his he actually had like reddish brown hair
0: wow wow it's and it's so interesting just the human urge to have little pieces of other people's bodies because that you know i went during my trip to new york i went to um the catacombs at saint patrick's and it's just how we just keep track of little pieces of our bodies it's fascinating i love that there's a hair map
1: and I just, I love the idea of like, oh, it's your birthday. Here's your, here's your birthday. Here's the card I got you. It's got my hair in it. Like.
0: I'm going to start doing that. You watch <laughs> out. You that's watch gonna be- out, Gemini Michelle. That'll you be hear- an,
1: that'll be an absurd thing that yes. uh, maybe gets us some time.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to do something fun with my hair and oh my gosh, that's going to be my new thing that I give people for their birthday.
1: <laughs> Except for now we have all this like DNA, there'll be clones of you everywhere if you're not careful with your hair. I know. They weren't worried about that. Well,
0: you know. The 1700s. What doesn't doesn't affect me. Do my clones affect me? Eh. I'm just trying to think about, like, what's the worst (laughs) thing that could happen if someone cloned me, really? Maybe your clones commit crimes and then you get... Yeah, that's true. That's true. But the technology is not that advanced
1: yet, so probably they're not cloning you till, like, you know, you're gone. So Yeah,
0: I'm going to do it. Call me if you want feet in the future. <laughs> see what see what good it does. Yeah.
1: Oh, I feel like the tenor of this particular agreement is uh
0: stranger than
1: usual, it's which like, is saying um, a lot.
0: Yeah, it's like an extreme. <laughs> Absurdist pessimism, kind of yeah. It,
1: it's like we have moments of that in every episode, but I feel like it's a it's a feature this week. Yeah,
0: yeah. This is we're just leaning in to be like, what and what and what are you gonna do? What What are you gonna do? And what are you gonna do? Stop what?
1: listening. Probably we don't care.
0: Yeah, we've already told you this isn't for you. <laughs> 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 oh, oh man, yep. Well, cool. Should we move on to
1: pop culture? We should move on to pop culture.
0: Let's do pop culture. Um, Again, this is about my trip to New York City this week on Catherine's End. And I want to talk to you. My pop culture is basically one big endorsement and gush and brag. This is not even a humble brag. I'm just bragging. I'm just showing off. Do for it. the for the broadway musical parade um i've only seen now this is the third three broadway shows in my whole life i was there for one of them you were there for the first one michelle and i got busted in by my aunt connie and we saw cats it was incredibly
1: weird and delightful and one of wonderful. one of my favorite childhood memories
0: it was great i love cats and i bought the cassette and i watched it every night in my room i lo- i stand by cats not the movie we, we also watched the movie Watch together <laughs> together distantly yeah um and then i saw a non-musical called burn this because adam driver was in it and i like adam driver a lot but now i have seen parade which is far and away the best musical best broadway show i've ever seen in my life i think it might be the best one i ever will see in my life i'm spoiled beyond compare now i cannot speak highly enough of this show i think it is almost impossible to have a musical that is not melodramatic but makes you feel so much that actually talks about history that um discusses that really shows off like how fascist theater can be right musicals like can be very fascist right you get a lot of big feelings and those big feelings have to go somewhere where do they go kind of just like how does propaganda work right so this musical was so aware of that and just played with it in such fascinating ways and I'll I'll tell you some of them but let me tell you what the musical is um So yeah, Parade is a Broadway musical by Alfred Urey and Jason Robert Brown. It premiered on Broadway in 1998 and it won the Tony for best book and best original score. And now there's been a revival of it. So the show Parade is about a man named Leo Frank and everything from the musical is historically true. So it's taken from a real story and real events, real people, of course, you know, condenses it glosses but really they're very good about the history so much so that like whenever a character comes on stage they project really big like the real photo of that person that they're portraying to they're just finding ways to constantly remind you this is real this really happened and so basically it's about a man named leo frank who is a real man and he was a jewish man living in atlanta georgia in 1913 he was accused of murdering a 13-year-old girl at a pencil factory that he was the superintendent of. And due to a bunch of reasons, mainly anti-Semitism and prejudice, his trial was very unfair, full of false accusations, false testimony. There were so many issues in his trial that several years later, the governor at the time, who was John M. Slatton, commuted his death sentence. He received the death sentence for this and he commuted the death sentence to life in prison. But very shortly after that was announced, he, Leo Frank, was kidnapped from prison and was lynched by a lynch mob. And that event, it's a horrible event, and but it's considered very historically important because, A, it kind of re revived and led to a resurgence of the kkk like they were kind of dying off and then boom got like big membership became much more public but it also was the cause of the founding of the anti-defamation league so it's very much considered this like point point. and part of the reason i love this musical is they spend like the first act saying oh, it's the South. And you guys, you guys in New York City, you're smart, right? We can laugh at the South and it's prejudice and it's racism. But in the second act, it gets very, very, the whole show is very smart, but it has this song from the perspective of like the Black maid and the Black servants of the governor who are singing like, wow, a lot of people care about him, don't they? And this is this, this is not the case for people like us. And it has that song and it looks at race in many different ways and prejudice in many different ways. And the musical is being revived. It's absolutely amazing. It's so good, again, at showing you. It's just very timely. I think we need a musical right now. People need to know this story is true. People need to know about history, these histories of hate. And the, what the musical does is The music is amazing. It is, makes you feel big feelings. It looks beautiful. And it's so good at constantly walking the rope between this is awful. This is where hate comes from. While also being like, but this is why people buy into it. And it is, it is just, it's displaying and demonstrating and doing like this fascist propaganda while, telling you where it can go and trying always to remind you of that and it's hard to explain that if you don't see the show right but the show starts off like boom they're singing they about they have this libidinal couple that keeps reappearing that represents what the southern racists think about the south and what they're fighting for and they go off to war and then everyone is right just waving confederate flags like right from the start and um yeah, it's it's an interesting show. And I do want to say I have insider information that during rehearsals, they waved pride flags for those scenes that they didn't until the actual show. No one was running around with those. Anyway, I've gone on and on about this play. It's on Broadway. It previews start February 21st and it runs until August 6th. So if anyone can go see it, which I know, like, I don't think a lot of people can. I think it's already mostly sold out. You have to go see this show. And you might be saying, Catherine, February 21st, we're oh, recording. You, are you, are recording you coming this. back from the, from the On future? On the 21st. Yes, I figured, I've i been so absurd. They gave me so much time back. I can future walk. Um, so preview started the 21st. I am going to do some bragging now. I got to go to something that I did not know exists, which is called an invited dress, where the very first dress rehearsal they do for the public people within the show, people who work on the show can invite people of their choosing. Ooh, and I got invited because I know someone in the play who is amazing and it was so, so cool. That it is awesome. That's that's cool. worth bragging about. It was such it was such an amazing event cuz everyone is there cuz they like are there for someone. It's the first time they're doing the show in that theater. Oh, the energy it was indescribable. And I'm just bragging. I'm just bragging, you guys. But I just have to. That it was amazing. I went to New York City and I got to go to an invited dress for probably the best Broadway play I've ever seen. And it was great. It had amazing everyone in it was an amazing performer. It stars Ben Platt, who was in um, Dear Evan Hansen and The Politician. Michaela Diamond's in it. She's great. I just have to give a shout out for the absolute best performers in it, which was Alex Joseph Grayson, which... Oh, he is a star. He is a star. He is a star. And this is like his first Broadway um lead lead role. He's a, He's been in Understudy before, and he's been on shows that go on tour, but he hasn't just been a direct role in Broadway, which is insane and hard to believe, as well as Courtney Carter, who plays Angela in this, who sings the song I was telling you about when they're saying, hey, who is just the best, the best in the world. So talented. And now I'm gonna just brag about her for, for like five minutes because she's yes, so great do um, yeah, it's amazing. It's this the best show. <laughs> and I got to see it. And I just want to again say that if Alex Joseph Grayson and Courtney Carter don't get all Tony's, I'm going to ride in the street and be unhappy. So that's Which will be your absurd thing for that day. So That'll we'll be gain my some time thing for that day. but I will, in the show notes, link to, um, they have, like, the show hasn't really officially started, so there isn't video of it or anything, but they have, like, a promotional song that Ben Platt's doing. Yeah. And it's just so good. It's so, I can't, I just am so impressed, because it's so hard to cover material that it's covering, and not make it melodramatic, or not make it just, like, here's your history lesson, and every single choice this show makes makes is done with such care and consideration and it's it's well i haven't seen anything like it in my life and to have that feeling was so special
1: it's making me so excited as you were talking because i'm teaching that um class to my daughter's co-op on the ethics of using history for entertainment um and we based it around 6 the musical um, and so we we looked at all the so anyone who doesn't know six is based off of the six wives of Henry the Eighth, which most of us learned as one stupid rhyme in you know high school, where it's uh divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. And so they take that uh, rhyme and then um, the, they reimagine themselves as pop singers competing for who had it who had it the worst. <laughs> um, and it is like we've been li- we had been listening to the soundtrack and it's a lot of fun but when we actually went to see it live it is doing some of what you're talking about in that it was just it was just a lot smarter than i expected it to be it and it was really kind of questioning the um how do we decide whose story gets told in history and there's the characters where the acting was phenomenal. The singing was great. The costumes were so clever and connected to all these different time periods. And I just, I, I'm, I'm really impressed with the work that's happening in like revisiting history through different lenses and then bringing it to a big audience because we've also made it entertaining. And I think that that is, um, just really, really cool. And I now have a group of middle schoolers who are, have been tasked with creating their own historical uh, piece of entertainment in some way. And I think they're making a rap battle between Smokey the Bear and Ember the Fox, who just replaced Smokey the Bear as
0: the <laughs> mascot. So <laughs> that is oh, that I love version. that. Michelle, you're Mrs. Piney now. <laughs> you are the Mrs. Piney doing life-changing projects that they'll remember and tell their friends for decades later. They'll be like, remember when we did the rap battle? Remember the box. Yeah.
1: Oh, I had, oh, I, that is the, oh, that's going to be my nice warming thought for the day.
0: You're beat. Miss Piney. You're the Miss Piney now. I'm not even going to explain that to everyone. That's just for us. That's just oh, for us. And most it has people a, know. Yeah. has a great tie-in for the uh, the cover of our. Uh, podcast oh yeah <laughs> the, yes yes the cover is miss piney's classroom there yeah, you go yeah and now it's now it's you but wait it's so hard to explain like when a musical is just a live theater and musicals and when they are good it is hard to explain why they're so good and that's i want to keep trying to talk about it and you're like it
1: just you need to go see it i saw Hades Town um was oh good I that. and i couldn't explain like i'm like i don't it's just so good and like yeah but it's just so good it's just but i it could like, just go so wrong the, the title so parade i i would not have even like i would be like i don't know it's not uh, it sounds very like happy and festive i was and i was talking thing, right to, like, uh,
0: i was talking to the um to the person who invited me and uh they said yeah it's such a happy title and I hope I hope people come and think and it gets people in and then it's not what it is
1: I was talking to my friend who went to um to see six during like the matinee and they said like the average age in this (laughs) there was like 74 because it was clearly all the season ticket holders Ah! (laughs) and they were like like they were like what is this because they clearly had just gone because they had season tickets and hadn't looked up anything about the show or listened to the music and like
0: I love that. I love that. No, it's great. It just, it makes me so happy when they're, we're in an age of a lot of jukebox musicals. And, you know, I want to say there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you like, but it is actively keeping other plays out of that space, right? There's only so many venues. There's only so many Broadway theaters. There's only so much money. There's only so many viewers' eyes. So things like Six, things like Parade, just make me really happy that they're still there and people still want to see them. And I'm going to send you, I will put a link up to, there's this right now, the original cast album. So you don't get to hear how good Courtney Carter is, but I will put a link up to the Ben Platt promotional song. And I will put a link up to the original Broadway cast of Courtney Carter's song. Cause she has like the one big song. That's kind of a moral center of the second act and just really, just really impressed too by it. I'm excited to hear it so cool hooray parade oh it's called parade because the murder of this young girl takes place at like a memorial day parade i was wondering i was like was it the, uh, yeah i was trying to figure out
1: a connection but i was like i'm sure it'll make sense when i get to see it someday yep
0: How to see it so yeah, that's sorry that went on and on but yeah. yeah parade is amazing go see it and thank you thank thank you for that wonderful once in a lifetime opportunity courtney i appreciate it uh, isn't that cool that I got? That to is do that? so cool. <laughs> I am pretty jealous. Okay, what is your pop culture?
1: My pop culture thing is the TV show Next Level Chef. Have you seen
0: this? I feel like it's a fever dream. I saw it. <laughs> no, this isn't real. This isn't real. This is from a fever dream it's that real. I saw it's two real. years ago. I swear to God. It's where they have a top level and those get the best and then a drop down and whatever is left it's like that that netflix show where people eat everything and then it goes down a level and they're like that's a great idea for a cooking show that's real that's real okay so my so (laughs) so... no no
1: i didn't believe it either so the only reason that i know so i have been watching hell's kitchen with my six-year-old who adores did i tell you i don't think i told you this story um His (laughs) his <laughs> he big, loves Kitchen. he loves Hell's Kitchen. So his, his big
0: sister oh, the tracks, had the to tracks.
1: go to Texas because she got into, um, divisionals for USA climbing where she got last place, but she still got last but place in divisionals there.
0: There's a, like a future Olympians there. <laughs> it's amazing. Congrats to her. I'm impressed. So her dad
1: took her. And so, um, my son and I had the house to ourselves for the weekend and I said to him, so since we're alone this weekend, is there something special you want to do? And immediately, like didn't even have to think about it. He goes, I want to order Chinese food and eat it on the floor like a picnic while we watch Hell's Kitchen.
0: Wow. That, Except... sounds, that sounds like what I would say if I had <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, that, that is okay. so specific. And you
1: said it so fast. like Just like I've been waiting for somebody to give me this opportunity.
0: It's and so
1: we this. Did. Um, but I also found out I did not realize it because it sounded like he was saying Hell's Kitchen. He he is very averse to any bad words. Like he's very upset about like why do people Aww. say these bad words, which is insane because I like just drop F bombs all over the place and have no like both of my kids, neither one of my kids use swear words. And I have never told them that they can't. And I have not like I don't know, Aww. I don't know how that happens. Um that's a different topic. So he was saying Hal's Kitchen. Apparently, he thought it was called Hal's Kitchen instead of Hell's Kitchen, which I think oh, is adorable. And then so when he adorable. found out it was really called that, he was like, what? I can't say that. <laughs> like, oh, He's like, I'm just going to keep saying Hal's Kitchen. <laughs> I
0: just think it's like Gordon Hale, Hal Ramsey is his middle <laughs> name. <laughs> Gordon Hal Ramsey. <laughs> so, uh, oh,
1: speaking of curse words, um, we were watching Next Level Chef and they bleep out the curse words. And my son gets frustrated, and he's like, oh, why do they keep saying curse words, and I can't tell what they're saying. And so Gordon Ramsay said, whoever cooked this knows their beep. And I was like, I I don't know what he said. I don't know what that means. And I said, oh, well, he was saying whoever cooked that knows their S word, which means they did a really good job. And his jaw literally drops, and he goes, wait, do you mean there are good bad words? (laughs)
0: good bad word <laughs> like you're just <was> like what <laughs> so i don't know
1: so i counted that as you know i'm homeschooling so that's that was our language lesson of the week um
0: yeah
1: but uh, so next level chef is gordon Ramsay's invention um or gordon Ramsay's blatant theft of the platform depending on your interpretation i suspect that he watched the platform and was like hey that would be cool on a reality show because um so i was trying to find out like if there was a connection between them because it's not like next level chef comes out on netflix so i was like maybe they just already had the set
0: and they were like hey do you want to make this into a reality (laughs) show (laughs) we have we have the drop down table so (laughs) so we'll just we'll just roll
1: with it so i'm going to start by talking about the platform you have seen it correct yes okay I have not seen it for a while so I don't remember all the details but like for the the point of this I'm also going to spoil it at least some so if you haven't seen it I don't know pause or fast forward or something um so the platform is a horror movie where people in prison they're prisoners or in some cases they're people who volunteered to go there to like clear debts I think. Um, they are randomly assigned to a level i think it's i don't know if we know how far it eventually goes or is it one through 100 or they're they're assigned to a a level on this platform and the food that they get the only food that they get starts at the top and then they get like 30 seconds to grab anything off of it and then it goes down and then it goes down and it goes all the way down and so most of the time if people are below like level i don't know 20 or whatever they just get no food or they're only getting scraps and there's two people assigned to each cell each level so at some point they're like killing and eating each other and it just is showing you the depths of the literal depths of humanity's um being terrible but eventually you realize that the they have very carefully they've hired these this is this is the part that makes it so crazy to me in terms of the connection to the reality show because one of the things that they show you is that they have hired these very high quality chefs to carefully craft these beautiful dishes where somebody is like breathing down their neck about every little detail like no you need to make sure that the like top of that creme brulee is perfectly like just everything has to be perfect and they very carefully set all the dishes onto the platform and there are there is exactly enough for every single person in the prison to get a full gourmet meal but they are starving because, of course, that's not what's happening. And as soon as it hits the platform, people are just grabbing as much as they can and, like, shoving these, this beautiful thing in their face and not even tasting it. So, like, even the people at the top aren't able to enjoy it because they're just trying to get as much as they can when there is there is literally enough that every single person could have this gorgeous meal. Um, so somebody watched that social commentary and said, wouldn't that be a fun reality TV show? <laughs> it's so <sighs> the way that next level chef works is that there are teams of chefs who their prize is that they um, and it's weird because like we've been watching hell's kitchen which are professional chefs that are vying for like a spot in one of gordon ramsay's like to be the head yeah. chef in one of his many everyone
0: kitchen. in that already works in a kitchen yeah. various levels from like diner to whatever but they have kitchen experience right Yes. Yes. So in this, it is social
1: media chefs.
0: They you could say they know their good bad words. They do their good bad words.
1: Um, it is social media chefs, home chefs, and then like people who have professional chef experience, but not to the level of like the people on Hell's Kitchen, right? So these are really like up and comers, aspiring chefs. A lot of people do it as a hobby, but would really like to be a chef instead of whatever it is they're doing. And um So the first episode they all perform and then they like, you know, picking teams for kickball style. There are three professional chefs who choose them one at a time to be on their team. And what they win, they win like two hundred and fifty if they are the last one, they win like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and a year of mentorship under the chef that um they pick them for their team and so there's also like the dual competition like the chefs want to be the one that has the winning person so like oh gotcha there's a little bit competition between them but it, it, it is it does seem like there's some genuine which is part of what i like about hell's kitchen i do think there's some like genuine mentorship there's some genuine like teaching moments um and so that's kind of fun to watch but the conceit of it the way reason it's called next level chef is that every so there's three teams and there's three levels there's a top level that is a fancy fancy kitchen like you know the kind you would find in one of the finest restaurants and then in the middle level there's just a pretty standard industry kitchen so nice but not not all the bells and whistles and then there's a basement kitchen which is like the kind you would find in like a dive bar or whatever like there's only like one stove and it doesn't heat up very well Man. and there are no like oh, somebody was asking for like a for a particular kind of knife to slice and they're like you don't get that here you know like very minimal tools um And so the top kitchen also gets the top choice of the ingredients as the ingredients come down. And so like there's a challenge every week that's themed around something, right? So it might be like the last one we watched was burgers. And so there's all these different kinds of ground meat to turn into a burger. And so like some people get to pick like Wagyu and, um, you know, all these different high quality ones. But then by the time it gets to the bottom, it's just whatever has gotten there. Um, And so then they all have to cook. And then their judge and eventually like the person with the best dish gets immunity for their whole team. And then the other two teams have to put somebody forward who they think should go into a head to head challenge to be eliminated. One of them goes home and one of them stays. So it is not as bad as I originally thought in terms of like, like, like is this some sort of like social commentary or right. what kind of food you can make from, because like a, the judges take into account, some consideration of like what tools and access did this person have were they really able to elevate something without having high quality ingredients and if you were in the top kitchen they're judging you more harshly because they're like you had the best ingredients and the best tools you should have produced a better dish than this so it's not as um i don't know like dystopian is,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um and it's and it's fun to watch and i enjoy it but i just when i first I was watching the Super Bowl and it came on after the Super Bowl like an episode of the current season and I was like is this the platform as a Gordon Ramsay reality TV show like what is happening and I was your reaction of like this can't be real Um, but it's actually pretty fun to watch so that's my pop culture thing
0: well cool I'm glad that you talked about a reality TV show yeah we kind of flipped roles for the day okay so my research i'm trying to think how to best present this without um complaining too much but just lean into the complaints and to fully give credit where credit is due because um i don't know if this is like what is research how is research conducted what does it mean to do research and present it um i would say that going to a conference and giving papers is is considered research going to a conference and listening to papers being given might be research i don't know if this counts for my research thing that i went to a conference listened to a panel and i'm now gonna basically just tell you all about that panel but i
1: mean i think that's research that's you are gleaning i mean it's certainly more than you could have gotten just by like trying to figure like you basically let them curate the best of the research
0: yeah exactly this is well curated research using my time what's left of it not being stolen by our simulation overlords wisely so in in the mode of using time wisely in the spirit of that I am not going to complain too much I'm going to say I went to a conference for work for um In New York, that's why I was in New York, the College Art Association conference, and there were a lot of. I get excited about it. I like to go see research. I like to hear stuff presented in my field. There's a lot of like really disappointing. Um, just scales falling from my eyes. What are we doing? And Michelle, you wisely said, that's kind of like how everyone feels about life right now. It's not just my field. It's not just this conference. It's not just those people, but there's a lot of just like, what are we doing? What is the point of this? I don't want to do this anymore. And there were some really, some conferences that made me really jaded and some panels and it made me really sad, but the final panel I went to of the whole conference filled me with such hope and made me so happy and inspired the crap out of me, inspired the, the bad word out of me, the, and good, bad word. the good bad word out of me. And it was also just a very different panel. It was a panel um, mainly of practicing visual artists and there was so much laughter and everyone just was talking to each other more and it just felt really good and really collaborative. And this panel was basically about alternative galleries and alternative ways of showing art, particularly during the pandemic, particularly during COVID. A lot of these artists on the panel had had gallery spaces or were doing projects that when COVID hit, they had to change in very different ways. And so they talked about their projects and they talked about that. But mainly, it was just so interesting to me. These are all amazing artists. These are artists who most of them did have experience running galleries and stopped doing that for various reasons, often financial. And basically, I'm just going to go through and the panel, I should say, since I'm about to just tell you about this well-curated panel, was curated by um, Alex Lucas, who is a professor and artist, and I'll tell you about his work. And two of my all i guess i'll talk about like in the full disclosure that two of the panelists are like really good friends of mine and i used to work with them in colorado and so when they they had a gallery when they lived in new york and it shut down and so then they still wanted to show art but like in a communal easy way and they lived in new york and they had a clothesline out their window And they would show art on it. And the rule was it had to be weatherproof and it couldn't weigh more than a load of wet laundry. And really then only people in their, in their row of buildings could see it. So when they moved to Colorado, they had for the first time ever a yard and they didn't want to water the grass. They didn't want to take care of it. The neighbors would come along and be like, you know, Joanna had really nice grass and they were just going to call the cops on them So they decided to use it as a space to show art. And they've done a lot of really cool projects there. Um, That some of them are projections on their house and artists cover their house in AstroTurf and then played projections at night. There was an artist that made kind of like a smoking hut thing that the neighbors were like, that's a fire hazard, oh no. Uh, There was someone who asked the community and everyone they knew to gather tumbleweeds. And then they just filled their yard and covered their house in tumbleweeds. And then one of the really bigger ones was an artist that cast their bodies, friends of their bodies, they cast them into sculptures and spelled out the word in to scale human bodies, spelling out the word routine across their yard. And that's really cool, right? You're like, Walking your dog in the neighborhood, living, going about your day, and you see the word routine. But it was also very funny. I cat sit for them sometimes, and this happened to them too. That you would be in the house, you'd wake up in the morning and be like, there's zombies on the lawn. Oh, no. <laughs> There'd just be like 10 people on their lawn. They're like, no, it's sculptures. But during the pandemic, they did a work that I found to be really touching, which was called Notes for Tomorrow. And they asked people to send them postcards about just hopes for the future, right? During the pandemic, we're shut away. What do we hope is gonna happen in the future? What do we wanna remind ourselves? What do we wanna tell people? Just anything that could be a note for the future. You would send them a postcard and they got one of those like LED sign scrollers, right? That lights up and can scroll messages. And they just 24 seven had what the postcard said scrolling Outside their house. And that project grew really big. They had they didn't know how it happened. They had an entire um, middle school class in Georgia sent them postcards. And it was this really cool collective thing. So that's one example of the alternative art space. There was one called Fresh as Fruit Gallery by Madison Creech and Catherine Bekeski, which was they were in Florida and in, in a pretty small town in Florida. They also had a gallery space that when COVID hit, they had to close down for financial reasons. But they always walked by this auto repair shop that had a huge, big window, shop window that wasn't being used. So they went in and asked the mechanics. They said, do you like art? And the mechanics said, no. And so, but they still worked on them. And then they got the mechanics to let them use that space as a gallery. And they would show work there. And the whole community would come and see it. It was in Florida. It was air conditioned. So a lot of the works got destroyed, but then artists started leaning into that and making works like to purposely melt or things like that. Um, There's another one called co-op research and project co-opt, a play on co-op, but co-opt research and projects, which was also a former auto repair shop that they filled up and they don't just, um, they do art, but they also do music. They also do like outreach programs with food and it's just really, that's in Lubbock, Texas. Um, And then one of the more absurd ones that just I really loved was there was an artist named Juliet Walker who in 2021 went to like the middle of nowhere in Maine. She didn't know her mother-in-law that well, but every night after every- after dinner, they would kind of gather around at the table and the mom would make a cake that she would put on her cake stand. And so the artist asked finally if she could use the cake stand as a gallery space. And so the mother-in-law was like, I don't understand this, but okay. <laughs> and so she put out a call and it mainly she put it by the window so if anyone wanted to come see in the middle of nowhere Maine, they could but it was mainly through instagram that she posted but she put out an open, open call that it had to you know fit in a cake stand and got a ton of art some was sculptures that you could put in there some were instructions kind of solo it instructions One was called Thinking Cap and they sent her all the supplies and it was like you had to cook spaghetti and then mold it to your head and make a hat out of it and put it in there. Um, Some people sent in ingredients to make things. And what really touched me was the mother-in-law did curate a cake. She showed a cake. And the picture was so nice because she had her mother-in-law's recipe that she included with the notes like, this is awesome. Add extra bananas and the cake. And it, she said, you know, it helped her grow a lot closer with her in-laws and really have people think about art, right? None of these things cost too much money. They don't require much ownership of space. That actually turned into the cake stand biennial in her town, where they collected a bunch of cake stands from people and showed art on cake stands all across town, which was very cool. Um, and so I just thought this was really, really amazing how communal it was how much this is for in spaces for people who might not go to galleries who yeah communal
1: people, and accessible right yeah
0: people who directly say no we don't like art and then every time in every story they love well, art likes you are involved Great, right? art <laughs> likes you I love that and they would get really involved they would for the yard project, they invited the neighbors to all the openings. And eventually when they would put up new work, the neighbors would crowd around them and ask questions. They would help them, they'd get excited about it. And this happened almost everywhere that people just get excited. They wanted to see the work, they wanted to be involved. And somebody asked them like the first question out of the gate at this panel after everyone presented about their work, was this is really great. You're all so organized. So what is, what's the dream? What's the bigger dream for these projects? And every single person very firmly said that, no, there is not a bigger dream. We do not want growth. We want something that we can let die. We want something we could put on pause. We want to be able to rest. We don't want to grow. We want to do what we can do. And we don't want To become, you know, like 503 C's. We don't want to be bigger galleries. That is not the goal. That is so outside the goal. And that was just so good to hear, so different to hear. And they all said that in various ways that they, if this, they want to be able to pause, they want to be able to just not have a board, not have people dependent on them. And it, it was really, really inspiring to hear that yeah it was beautiful that they all said this is joyful for us and if it stops being it we can stop and we don't want to grow so yeah that my research is basically relaying that panel to you and how good it was I will put up um links to all of that work like the cake stand the freshest fruit gallery they all have websites and it's much better if you can see like the images of the art yeah yeah I'm excited to show it to some of the kids the cake stand one got me because that's so simple yeah and and the thing that I loved about it most was they were doing it so seriously right she put out a press release she used all the terminology she did whatever a curator would do but with something very silly and anytime someone is going to be very serious about something not serious and do it right That, I'm realizing, like, just scratches something in me and is one of my favorite things in the I mean, I
1: think it brings up the question, like, what is serious, right? Yeah, Like, 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 what does it mean to make serious art? Like, if that brought you closer to your mother-in-law and it brought joy to the people who got to contribute to it and it made people, like, really question how they could create art in a way that was sustainable within these certain parameters, like, isn't that serious? Like, I, I mean... Like, what, what makes something serious? Like, who gets to decide that? Yeah. No. Yep.
0: I agree. So, it's, yeah, it's serious and it's done well. Oh, I forgot the person who organized it has the CA53776B2 gallery. And that is his license plate because his gallery is the dashboard of his 2007 Ford Ranger. And so he shows art there. He has a little, um, a little place on the back of his car that he can have the pamphlets about the art that you can get. And it was just fun. It was fun to hear him talk about this, that it is fun. But then also he's a professor and he's like, it's a very interesting thing when I when I went up for tenure and I just say, no, this is a gallery. My dashboard is a gallery. And I love it. So really quickly, just to kind of pad this out as research, I did some more research but while I was in New York, I every time I go to New York City, I want to do this and I never had, and I finally did it this time, which is there's an artwork by Walter De Maria, who's like a 1970s artist. And he has two works that I went to see. And one is just called Earth Room, and it is in Soho. And um, if you know anything about New York, you know real estate is very expensive. Soho is very expensive, and this is a room in a building in Soho that is entirely filled with dirt and it is from 1977 they filled it with dirt in 1977 and it's just it's it's funded to the point where it, it will always be there no one can take that away in theory and you walk up to it and you just it smells like dirt it's so it's like a portal to another time in space to walk up to that room in new york and just see so much dirt and it doesn't it's hard to relay it's hard to relay like the musical about how actually just transforming that is he has another work that we i went to see called broken kilometer which has um a whole kilometer broken up of pure brass rods and they're like 75 pounds each and it weighs tons and tons and it's just I'm not going to talk about it because that's something you have to see in person. But it's beautiful, and it is knowing these works were put there decades earlier, before I was born, you were born, and that they will continue to be there. I hope. I'm cynical, but I hope they will always be there. And it just felt like a portal to a different time. Um, and so I think I those are in a way alternative art spaces. I guess they were doing some this was something alternative. But through my research, I want to shout out just a few more. I just want to figure out like what could I do to just I was just thinking about that space. as you were
1: talking about. I mean, especially since I have, you know, I, I feel like I'm always experimenting with the kids that I lead in in the co-op but I just I just have ready creatives that are always looking to do something. So I'm like, oh, like if i if I made something, I don't have to make all the art. I just had to provide a space and I have kids who will and make curated.
0: art curated it. yeah, what could that be? So, um. There's another one called Secret Dungeon Project, and that started in 2018. It's in Brooklyn. It's by Matt Tabor and Scott Dow. and that's a storage unit that they rent a storage unit, and they use that as a gallery space, which I think is clever. Um, there's another one called Trunk Show, which hosts, last time we talked about bumper stickers, it hosts a new artist bumper sticker. So they ask artists to make bumper stickers, and they... Um, ritualistically affix the bumper sticker to their car which is a beat-up 1999 ford Taurus. and for the time of that show that bumper sticker is on what kind of spaces could you curate where could you show
1: i mean i've seen we have so many of those free little libraries in my surrounding neighborhood like i can probably walk to 12 of them in under 30 minutes we also have a, a puzzle exchange that is like a, oh. a old um you know dorm size refrigerator so that it's safe from the elements and they just open and like we drop puzzles in it it's fantastic uh and i saw that they are looking for some donations to expand the space so that it could be a puzzle and board game exchange um so just and so some of those have been art galleries people have done yeah little mini art galleries or sense. or exchange like exchanges right where you can drop off art and take somebody's art from them um and I am in a Facebook group called art abandonment which is funny because I don't make any art but I just love see it just makes me so happy like people make art and then go abandon it somewhere with a note that's like this is for you and so they're like um one person was tucking these like beautiful handmade bookmarks inside of books at like a target so that you would get home and you would just find this oh, beautiful man. handmade, you know, thing in your in your target book or um, and I people do them in like parks or places where it's I think that's kind of common, but I love the ones that are like, you're going to find a piece of beautiful art in like your day to day, you know, just mundane existence. Those are my favorite when they find a way to turn really commercialized spaces or really kind of tedious routine to go back to the other one, routine spaces into this like experience of art or experience of creativity and beauty. And I think that that's a a fun extension of that.
0: Wonderful thing. Yeah. I, that just makes me think of, I read something the other day where somebody went to visit a city that their friend lived in and their friend wasn't there And they were so sad that they were going to miss them. They asked them to leave them a note somewhere in the city. And so they could go find it. And they said that we always communicate. We're so used to communicating with people at the same time, but in vastly different spaces like we are right now. But to be in the same space at different times just was like so different and magical that I want to do that. I immediately thought of when. We had um, we our had notebook, like... right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was basically I was like... a journal, but we would pass it back and forth, and it was letters to each other. So, so, uh,
1: Catherine and I, if you, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, have been friends since fourth grade for me and fifth grade for you, right? Yeah. Um, but Catherine went away to high school, which broke my little weirdo's heart. Um, so we each had a notebook that we would just. I, I, basically just journals like these very yeah. like we still you we still have some of them right yeah yeah uh, and it was just like very like stream of consciousness this is what i'm looking at this is what i'm thinking of and then whenever we got to see each other we would just exchange those two notebooks and then read it read each other's like you know, dated yeah. so that we were like getting to be together at school when we weren't together
0: at school, and so yeah, it was. I just love stuff like that. I remember I'd sit in the library after school and just transcribe people's conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the, we would just
1: doodle things at each other. be like, yeah, here's a doodle. Can you make this doodle? Like, it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it, it was, was the silly great. notes you would pass back and forth as a kid, except for tons of them because we didn't get to exchange them at the the same time so
0: is it any surprise we're doing this now? <laughs> right but <laughs> early figures no, are but then um and in Colorado Springs where I used to live they had a whole day where it has a really rich community of artists and it had a whole day where artists would hide stuff and it was on that day and so the whole town would be like okay today is the art hunt and you could look at different artists Instagrams and they would leave hints oh that's really fun well um
1: I do geocaching with my my, my son um, and he like a lot of them put like little things little trinkets and as long as you bring something else you can trade and I've noticed some of those have like handmade artistic pieces so people are are creating with that in mind and the, that has That's really cool. serious parameters because it's they're always so small so like having to make little miniature figurines or um, something that can be folded
0: I just it's like um I, I remember seeing long ago in Nashville where I went to see you the little they used to be cigarette machines, and then they put art in them. But this is like just take take money out of it. Just take yeah that straight out, and it's even better. Even better. Just,
1: here's art. People just creating art. People just finding art. People getting art. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel hopeful and inspired too. Right, and just to see those amazing artists and hear them laugh and see their work, and they're all geniuses. And shout out to especially the Yard Project. Thank you, thank you for that yeah so what is your research my
1: research thing uh started by me reading that so dc has famous cherry trees right these cherry
0: blossoms and there's a whole festival george washington this week with your hair and cherry trees (laughs) it was president's day yesterday
1: i'm just feeling very you know i didn't even cancel my classes because i didn't realize that it was president's day um but yeah maybe i was feeling it internally
0: (laughs) Michelle's so, just such a patriot. So. Yes.
1: <laughs> Everyone who knows me will tell you that.
0: Um, I'm going to say it at your funeral.
1: <laughs> that's a callback no one will get. Nope. <laughs> um, the National Cherry Blossom Festival is held each year. Um, it's going to start soon. It starts this year on March 20th, which is the first day of spring, and it runs through April 16th. There are about 4,000 cherry trees in this s- area and usually they bloom at about the same time and there's people want to catch peak bloom but it isn't you know completely predictable because there are lots of factors that go into when trees bloom but there is one tree just east of the jefferson memorial that blooms reliably 10 days before the rest of the trees and it is so good at predicting this that it is called the indicator tree by the national park service and the indicator tree currently Um, had had buds on it as of like February 15th, which is early, not unheard of early, but it's about eight days earlier than last year. And it suggests that the other trees will be blooming earlier than usual as well. And it correlates with a warmer winter because January in DC was eight degrees above average and February as of February 16th was 4.5 degrees above average. Um, So the cherry trees were planted about 100 years ago and the peak bloom date has been April 4th on average, but it has occurred early 16 out of the last 20 years. And the earliest peak bloom date on record was March 15th, 1990. So it's possible that we could be earlier than that this year Um, and that got me thinking about indicator trees and the roles of like being an indicator because I think that's really interesting so and it also was the most famous aphorism is the canary in a coal mine right this indicator animal that is so I, I started by just researching canaries and coal mines to learn, like, what is the history of that? And it wasn't all that interesting because it's pretty straightforward. They literally just took canaries in and were like, oh, if they're dying or often they didn't die, they were in distress. And that was like, hmm. um, which I'll go into in more detail there, too. So I that do, tradition. I do,
0: from my research, know how a pigeon loves. And I know when a pigeon is in distress. So that could be helpful. <laughs> it could be helpful.
1: So well, lots of bird-related emotions um so they were used to detect carbon monoxide in coal mines starting around 1911 and I'll put a link to a Smithsonian article about this and um, the idea is credited to John Scott Haldane who was famous for his work with oxygen and um, how oxygen works and in- people and what we need and birds in general are really good at helping us figure out if there's airborne toxins because birds need more oxygen than us because flying requires a lot of oxygen um i guess that like i don't it didn't go into too much of the science and i didn't but they just need a lot of oxygen in order to be able to fly and hit the altitudes that um they often are at so they have I don't know if it's all birds, but a lot of birds have specialized anatomy that allows them to take oxygen. And when they inhale, like we do, but they also take oxygen in when they exhale and they store the extra oxygen in these special little sacks, um, that, so they can have it available when they need it. So they have like little like, scuba gear inside of them is how I think of it. Um, wow. and so because of that, If there are toxins in the air, they're going to have higher doses of it because they're storing it inside of them. And so they will start to um, see the effects of that faster than a human would and faster than almost any other animal would because most of us don't have little oxygen sacks inside of us uh I don't know there's warnings that go around about like self-cleaning ovens can being deadly to birds because it puts toxins in your air that usually don't impact people because we don't do it that frequently but it can kill like pet birds so
0: but I mean uh, have you been in your house when you clean it it feels
1: terrible and so yeah like a lot of the times that'll that'll kill a bird because (gasps) they're just getting like double the dose of that
0: we had a, my brother had a pet bird as a child that died suddenly, and I'm wondering if it was linked to <laughs> were an you, oven were cleaning.
1: You, I, The face you made, I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, are you just real? Like, it was like a realization. Pidgey, Pidgey no. <laughs> we should have just left the oven dirty. All right. Um, so... But a lot of times the canaries that were used in coal mines did not necessarily die because they were able to see, you know, oh, they're in distress and they had special cages. I don't know what the details of them were, but there were special chambers that they would put them in to help resuscitate them after exposure. And the miners got really attached to their canaries like they saw them as pets. They would often like give them little treats and interact with them. And so they were upset when in 1986, the birds were replaced by digital detectors. Like, doesn't that seem late? Like, I don't, I guess in my mind, I wouldn't have imagined us still using canaries the year I was born. You know, I was born yeah. in 85. Like, the, yeah. In our lifetimes, they were using, barely, but that they were using canaries in coal mines. So um, the birds were replaced by digital detectors and the miners had mixed feelings about it because they didn't like losing their little friends. Um, and it was also just... A sign of modernization and automation like there are also pit ponies that were phased out around the same time so they were used really late their presence wasn't fully phased out until 1999 in britain which is where a lot of this research came from so pit ponies were still being used like until 1999 which seems late to me So that whole thing sparked me into just wanting to know more about indicator species in general. And I found out that there's a wide variety of uses. Um, Most of them are invertebrates because they um, are pretty sensitive to changes in their environment. And there are also things called keystone species, which are species that the ecosystem in which they live depends on them. So If you can match those two up, if you can have an indicator species that is also a keystone species, it's really good for scientists because they can get a lot of information that way. And so I found a list and I'll link this article too, a list of characteristics that makes something a good indicator species. So you are a good indicator species if you respond to change quickly in a way that is visible to humans. And your response is representative of a whole species or ideally a whole ecosystem, because then you're a keystone species, too. Um, you need to be a relatively common species because you need they need to be able to have enough of you to look at and use and a big enough population for studying with a large existing knowledge about the species. So it can't hmm. be something like we just found because we need to know, like, is this How just happens yeah. or is this way abnormal? Um you should have quick and effective reproduction so there should be lots of them reproducing often and ideally you'll have a specialized habitat or diet which then makes it you know easier to kind of uh isolate out what is happening what is yeah to control
0: the other variables yeah
1: And there are two different kinds of indicator species, which is basically just qualitative and quantitative. So a bioindicator is a qualitative indicator species, and a biomonitory is a quantitative indicator species. And then I found some examples of indicator species and what they indicate. So lichen has no roots and has to get its nutrients from the atmosphere. So it is a good indicator of pollutants, especially nitrogen. And if we have two different indicator species, lichen, which will not do well with nitrogen and something else that does do well with nitrogen that's a pretty good indicator of like oh there's there's been an increase in nitrogen see what's mm. happening um spotted owls don't build their own nests they nest in old trees so um declines in their population will often be an indicator of the ecological health or overforestation of the area in which they're living um mayflies require a hard bottom surface in an aquatic environment in order to reproduce. So if there are fewer mayflies than there were, that's probably a sign that there's sediment on the bottom, which can be a sign of increased uh, aquatic pollution. Marsh periwinkles are a kind of snail that can help indicate the marsh ecosystems status, and they are often I um, looked at after oil spills to see what it, how the marsh is doing following an oil spill.
0: Oh yeah,
1: and um, river otters, which are quote the apex predators in aquatic ecosystems, <laughs> which is just I just want you to stop and think about a river otter, which is like the cutest That's, little yeah, thing, just
0: lying on its back, cuddling its babies, playing around and
1: splashing. Apex predator. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can't. (laughs) I can't square it.
1: So they eat fish and they eat invertebrates. And so they build because the effects of like a toxin are cumulative. So since they're eating all of the things that have the toxins in them, it will show up in them before it will show up in the individual species that they are eating to get it because they're getting the cumulative effect of all of it. So they have been particularly useful in helping um, detect mercury levels in um, aquatic systems gotcha e coli bacteria helps us find out if there's fecal matter in fresh water and um, monarch butterflies because of their migration help us with like systemic environmental problem indicators because they their ecosystem is so expansive
0: what about armadillos
1: i did not find anything about armadillos but
0: just makes me think if like monarchs are because they're moving in different yeah, patterns yeah. We know armadillos are So maybe they haven't
1: been in their places long enough for
0: us to know. Yeah, we have to to know about them. So which of those are like? Are those all indicators and keystones or? Um, what what's an example of a of a double of a? Marsh periwinkles
1: are keystone because they um they eat the there's a certain kind of marsh plant that they eat. So if their population declines, then those that that plant like overtakes other. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to see if any of these other ones were mentioned as being keystone. I imagine that river otters are keystone if they're the apex predator. Yeah. I would assume that if the apex predator is right? gone, then you're going to get an overpopulation of other species.
0: Do you know what is not ever a keystone species? No. What? <laughs> when they, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry that I'm um taking over your research, but I'm always no. fascinated My by the stunned. fact. Jump on. I'm... I'm always fascinated by the fact that when they talk about um, is there, right? Because everything is so interrelated like that. And it is almost impossible to get rid of anything without hurting something. But I always like when scientists are like, you know, and this is true, we could get rid of mosquitoes yes. and there would be no problem. We Fuck. have a plan to do
1: it because we could genetically yeah. modify them to all be it's it's either I'll be female or I'll be male. Yeah. Um, or so the they other. could not reproduce. Um and then there's been all these ethical debates like is that okay to do? And I understand the ethics of it, but I also
0: also fuck mosquitoes. I, yeah. I hate yeah, also them. that yes. And they spread disease, but I just I always love that that it's like we everything is this. interrelated, everything's important except, except mosquitoes. mosquitoes. We could do without them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mosquitoes. That's so fascinating. I, I didn't even know about indicator species and that there could be trees. and didn't, yeah yeah. Oh. I didn't
1: either until I read that. I was like, what is an indicator? And it was just kind of a throwaway line. It was like the indicator tree says it's going to bloom early. And then it was all about like the impacts of it blooming early and like, you know, people trying to scramble to time it out. And I was like, there's an indicator tr-? Like, y'all are not paying what attention the to purpose- the important thing.
0: How do you think that happens? Like, what is the purpose of that tree, and why does why is it that there's a tree that does it early? that's so I, fascinating. I like to
1: imagine that it's just like, you know, like Iowa in the um primary, yes. so it's like I am first
0: <laughs> Kinda set the pace, you guys. Stop trying to beat me. <laughs> I mean, right? They say trees can trees communicate with their roots and stuff? And maybe it's just like, oh go check it out i'll check it out guys i'm the strongest i'll go see how (laughs) things let you know if you
1: need to keep it keep it tucked in a little while longer yeah just just,
0: stay it's not safe it's not safe oh man that's so cool i okay so so should we recap
1: yeah we should recap
0: okay my weird thing was definitively not GPT. it was that pigeons don't bob their heads. Mine was that people in general
1: in the 1700s, and George Washington in particular, would gift their hair.
0: And then my pop culture thing was the brilliant, wonderful, awesome, musical parade.
1: Mine was the reality TV show Next Level Chef.
0: My research thing was alternative art spaces and being inspired by that and trying just to put art out into the world unattached from capital as much as we can in unexpected places.
1: And my research thing was indicator species.
0: Okay. This feels so connected. This feels like we should really do a good job with this.
1: Oh, way to put the pressure on! It right? doesn't
0: feel it doesn't feel easy, but it feels like there's really something there's there. Something, there's something meaningful there.
1: This is just thinking time. Don't hit fast forward. We need it. I'm talking to the um, to our AI. Over-awards. Oh yeah.
0: Um, I need to. I need to start juggling, or something. So <laughs> right, right. Do something absurd. What do we think? Now I'm not thinking. So. I think that, uh, <laughs> okay, so we have two birds. We have birds, we birds, a lot of birds. We have, we, but indicator species too. We have pigeons. We have canaries. We have indicators. We have art. We have uh, hair.
1: Indicator art, bird hair, done. Okay, no.
0: Um. indicator art bird <laughs> indicator art bird hair
1: so it is it maybe something because we were talking about how um when you were like the that so many of the panels you went to see at the conference were disappointing or frustrating um and I was like you know I think that's just kind of life right now like maybe there's something about like could this hopeful moment could it be like an indicator like could we could we see um and in which case like <laughs> next level chef watching the platform and being like you know what i can make that a fun reality show like is it is it trying to like are we trying to force a different zeitgeist by I being mean, like it's all been doom and gloom for too long i'm gonna i'm gonna be the early blossom that is the like right. hope is coming i'm gonna make it happen Um,
0: I feel like early blossom could be something I feel like is there something with canary in the coal mine that we could redo be the be the canary you want to see in the world no um
1: well, and then we talked about the Broadway plays and how this is a revival of this this moment of like yeah hard hitting histories that are that are not afraid to dive into the um the muck of the historical stuff, um you know like it's I feel like it's indicating a a shift in perspectives
0: and a hopeful future in some ways. So shift in perspective, hopeful future blooming, because the pigeon really is like.
1: That's a literal shift in perspective, right? Why
0: why can I not talk about pigeons and not do the head without pop? doing the head motion? That's and why then, I and... went quiet because I was yeah, doing yeah, it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and you all don't get to see it, but I did.
0: Um okay, so shift in perspective blooming. If something if something is gonna bloom in order to see things blooming, you have to shift your perspective now.
1: And, and then like the gifting the hair is this like you know, weird, like I I know you're gonna want to remember me. Here's my hair, <laughs> just like I I feel like that's connected to this sort of because it is it is like a hopeful indicator for the future, right? Like I when you see this, I want you to be like
0: it's it's a very um it's a very vulnerable hopeful thing to be like my I'm gonna be important enough or you like me enough that you want this piece of my body.
1: So it's it's like instead of. The canary in the coal mine, what is, what is a phrase we can use? The something in the something that
0: means I'm, I'm going to be the good thing in the midst of bad things, right? Right, right. So, so, okay. So we don't have to tie everything into our phrasing, but everything we have discussed is about the first shoots coming out of the ground of a sea change or something good, or just the first little warning signs to be seen. Yeah, like, does yeah. Cutthroat Kitchen count as that? Sure,
1: I think because I mean, if you watch I mean sorry, platform, not Cutthroat,
0: not Cutthroat Kitchen. Uh, um, next If you watch the level.
1: platform, and we're like, you know what, that needs that needs some that needs some fun, uplifting mentorship. <laughs>
0: like, but also, no. also as you stand below the platform, you have to watch it come, and you have to look for like yeah. the good and what scraps oh, oh, you have. Oh, there was an episode where they had to do steaks.
1: And one of the people, as they were trying to grab it off, literally dropped it to the to the basement kitchen below and it fell on the floor and the person in the basement kitchen picked it up and washed it off
0: and used washed it. Wash it off. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. It's an indicator steak. An in indicator <laughs> steak. <laughs> but yeah, but right, like good things can drop down. Good things can bloom up. It's unexpected. It's and yeah. something's being indicated. So like- um so what do we want to do so be be the filet
1: in the the basement kitchen
0: be Be the be the drop steak you want to see in the world (laughs) be the envelope full of hair you want to see in the world be it be the uh,
1: I mean, maybe just, like, be the art in the cake stand. I, I kind of like that, right? Like, I know that it's very tied to one specific thing, but I feel like that specific thing is permeating through – I mean, it ties two of them, right? The indicator species with the with, – it ties our two research things. But I think those are a nice little culminating point for all of it, right?
0: Go – hmm. Or is there not, something – Not be the art in the cake stand, but I feel like there's something like – Go find your cake stand, put something in your cakes, fill your own cake stand up or something. Fill your your own cake stand full of steak and hair until you can't (laughs) breathe and your sacks of air are depleted.
1: Fill your own cake stand
0: Fill your own cake stand with steak and hair. Steak and hair. I don't... Because that indicates that you are losing it.
1: I feel like, like it's uh, like be the art in the cake stand, but cake stand isn't negative enough. Because we need the we need the contrast. Of the positive yes. popping out of the negative. So it needs to be like the.
0: Because canary in the coal mine, right? So be.
1: So like fill your own something with art, but it needs to be something like what else do we, what else do we talk about that could be. we were surprisingly positive this week. We actually.
0: really were, especially for the mood we were in. Um, so
1: like, you know, I'm like, did we mention, like, a toilet anywhere? Did we mention something gross? Like, we really didn't, because if we did, you could be like, you know, fill your toilet with art.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why didn't we talk about toilets more? Jeez. <laughs> um, so we talked about pigeons. We talked about cooking shows. We talked about George Washington's hair. We talked about musicals. We talked about art. We talked about
1: I mean, there is the basement kitchen. Like that's that's a gross place. It's like
0: fill your basement kitchen, fill your basement kitchen with drop steaks. In every right, what's what's it? In every life, some rain must fall. What is that phrase? In every every season, turn turn. Do you know what I mean? Like every yeah.
1: <laughs> I just keep thinking about that old song. like every um. I never promised you a rose garden. Do you know that song? Along with every the sunshine, there's gotta be a little rose. rain sometime.
0: I never promised you a rose garden. Every rose has its thorn. <laughs> That's a different every thing. basement <laughs> has its drop stake.
1: I think we came further away. Every
0: envelope Cold, I colder. <laughs> I'm getting so far away. So far away. Um every a yard can be full of dirt. No, 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 wait. A yard can be full of art and art can be full of dirt if you drop your steak clean it up hair 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 hair, hair pigeon, pigeon 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 have you oh, ever no. seen a fortune cookie that long i don't okay, know wait wait, wait,
1: wait wait but like fill your house with dirt i feel like that's got some potential right
0: yeah fill your house with dirt <laughs> Fill your house with dirt. Fill <laughs> your house fill with. your dirt. cake
1: stand with art, and your house with dirt.
0: Yeah, fill fill your cake stand with art, and your house with dirt, <laughs> and your steak with hair. Steak with hair. I'm kind of stuck on the steak and hair thing. Um, if you have dirt, put it in your house. If you have
1: My favorites so far are be the fillet in the basement kitchen and fill your cake stand with art and your house with dirt.
0: (laughs) Fill your cake stand with art and your house with dirt. That one works. That one works. Uh,
1: You don't feel satisfied, though, and I feel like you had high hopes for this one.
0: It's, I, you know, here's the thing, Michelle. I bet I haven't watched a lot of Next Level Kitchen, but I bet sometimes the sheer options, all those choices actually hurt them. And a lot of times the lack of choices and the lack of stuff, the challenge of it, the restraints actually make them do better. Don't you often do better with more restraints?
1: Uh, No, I, that is actually a theme that I have been um, wanting to write about and thinking about how, how uh, restrictions are freeing. And I really do believe that they really,
0: really are. So this is the problem is that we have too many options and too many, we're the, we're at the top level we, we need to be stuff, in the basement where we have to. We need to. We need to be in that can, basement.
1: Can I make one more revision that I think I think you're gonna like? Okay. Fill your cake stand with heart. With, or, start over.
0: With hearts.
1: With hearts. <laughs> Fill your cake stand with art. Your house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair.
0: And do your basement with steak. <laughs> your basement with steak. That's like that's like a good like. Here's like an old Irish legend. <laughs> okay, say it again. Yeah. No, I like this. I like all of them. Fill your cake stand with dirt. Your can we
1: if it's like a cause you said like the old Irish legend, like that's like the like um like a wish for you. So can it be
0: may your cake stand
1: have art, your house have dirt, your birthday card have hair, and your basement have steak? Yes,
0: yes, yes. <laughs> may your cake stand be always filled with dirt,
1: your Okay, so I have may your cake stand be always full of art, your house with dirt, your birthday cards with hair, and your basement with steak.
0: Yep, <laughs> that is our wish. I love you. it. I'm glad we didn't give up. I, I no see, yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm, I feel kind of guilty that the role now is me being like, "No, try again," and you always come up with the good <laughs> ones. But it you works know, out. We do the things that work. Like it's yeah. Somebody's got to be the steak in the basement. Somebody's <laughs> got to be the hair on the card. Some <laughs> some days you're the art in the cake stand, and sometimes you're the dirt in the house. But it's just yeah you can take that one apart and put it together but yes our wish for you i like it a lot i actually love 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 it yep perfect perfect (laughs) perfect okay
1: um so friends all however many of you there are please send us some grab bags we appreciate them they add some
0: absurdity to our day and slow down the time that is speeding up around us (laughs) goodbye goodbye